0: Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed.
1: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine. erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.
0: Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down
2: and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham.
0: Taking me to school and hanging with the gang gang. It's episode 422 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Going to be a fun show this week talking to the executive producers of Fairfax Season 2 now streaming on Prime Video. So we'll talk to the guys about what we can expect this season. and get some really cool behind-the-scenes information as well. Also going to talk to Saman Chainani, who is the author of the School for Good and Evil book series. Got a new book, The Rise of of The School for Good and Evil, which is kind of a prequel to that, and I'll get to ask him all about that. Plus, my Miss Marvel review, going to do spoilers for that coming up to talk about that and maybe throw in some tidbits from the press conference that I attended for Miss Marvel as well. Plus, going to wrap up Geeked Week from Netflix, going to talk about the TV stuff, the movie stuff, the animation stuff, the big news and my opinions on all that, the Black Adam trailer, and so much more. So clearly, we have a lot to get to. Let's do that and start out with Fairfax, up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
3: This is Summer Bishop from The Magicians, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: The Gang Gang is back. It's season two of Fairfax, the animated series now streaming on Prime Video. And I got a chance to chat with the guys who make it all possible. It's Matthew Hausfodder and Andrew Buschbaum and Teddy Riley about what's going to be happening in season two. So here's my conversation with them. All right, guys. Hey, thanks for taking the time to do this today. I appreciate it. Our yeah, of course. Man. Thanks for having us. Alrighty, guys. So season two going to be coming out on June the 10th on Prime Video. I know that you guys are excited, especially because, I mean, obviously season one, you had to spend some time, you know, introducing us to the gang gang, establishing those relationships. So given that, did you guys feel like you could really hit the ground running and just kind of jump right in to season two? Go
4: ahead, Teddy.
0: Totally. I mean,
3: we, we knew in season two, we had some goals in mind, you know, wanting to dive into some characters that we just grew to love over season one. And, you know, we got to make the show kind of right after writing season one. So it was a, we had a lot of good momentum and yeah, I definitely say we hit the ground running.
4: Yeah. I I was just going to add that. I think that's the perk of like any season two is season one, you're discovering so much. We're bringing on these actors to play what I would say, maybe like smaller roles and you fall in love with these actors and the characters they are playing in season two, you're just like, now I get to finally take advantage of that and really let it shine. And, you know, Cami Mendez coming in and and playing, you know, not just Melody, but also Cerise. It's like two huge roles in the show now. It's just so much fun to play with and really kind of explore. Then you have like Larry Owens, who we had in season one. It was awesome. And it's like, how do you not have this guy singing in season two? And so we we brought him in and every every episode he's in, we wrote a little something for him to sing on because he was like, Selfishly just wanted to hear it. It is awesome. Yeah, I think we wanted to pay off some of the stuff
1: or teased or set up in season one, like Dale and Lily or a potential Derrick and Melody. You really get to do that when you have the space to play. And like you said, just aren't trying to establish this world and the characters and their dynamics.
0: Speaking of characters that you got introduced to as like guest stars in season one, was that kind of a vice versa thing? Cause you said you wanted to have them back. Was, did you kind of get that feeling from them as well that they wanted to come back because they had such a great time on the show? Because you had a few, you had a couple of people come back and I felt like that really showed in the second season.
4: Yeah, man. It was, it was just fun. Uh, I'll say this one. I think our shows are kind of fun in recording, uh, like not to toot our own horn, but like, we're a fun bunch that likes to play around. Yeah, you see how like the magic it. is working all right. Yeah. But I also think that like making animated television, especially during COVID for the actors is really nice. You send these boosts to their house, they record for a couple hours and then they can kind of go about, you know, focusing on other projects. And so it's a really nice opportunity for them to kind of branch out and do things they wouldn't necessarily do and play characters they wouldn't necessarily play and have fun doing it and then they can go you know be in that big television show that they're on
0: so for you guys obviously your fans love your show for a reason so i'm sure you didn't want to change too much heading into this this season but you do all kind of want to do anything differently that kind of cranks things up a little bit for the second season that you maybe didn't get a chance to do in the first definitely i mean
3: we knew we wanted to raise the bar in the storytelling, in the animation. There were things that we did maybe miniature versions of in season one, like we wrote an original song in season one. And then in season two, we did like a big, big musical number in one of the episodes. So kind of dip after dipping our toes in some of the places that we loved in season one, Season two is just a great way to go. All right, now let's now let's take this to 100. The places that they go in season two, we really think are just on another level. I mean, it's still the same show, but we go to some really fun places this season and there are some really great guest stars that are going to uh, surprise people.
4: Yeah, I would just add the romance. I, th- I, think, I, I think the relationships that we kind of, again, and, and we've already mentioned this, but like the seeds we planted in season one, now we kind of got to watch those like, those trees grow and flourish. And it's really fun just to, I think animation is generally not serialized, but to like weave serialized elements into our stories and and really be able to kind of like continue to tell a story and see our group grow and progress and see these relationships unfold. And obviously like these middle school relationships are complicated and messy and crazy. And like to see that kind of all play out is just exciting, fun stuff that we knew we wanted to play with. and finally had the chance to do.
0: I think it's interesting because you guys are clearly having a lot of fun on this show, but you tackle some real world issues too. You, you know, I mean, you dive into racism, you certainly dive into LGBTQ issues as well. So it was not important for you to be, for you guys to be able to highlight issues like this, but in the craziest, most Fairfax way possible.
5: <laughs> I think, you know,
1: we have an incredible group of writers and we wrote this second season during a per- particularly turbulent time in our country. And it was challenging to, be funny on some days, but we thought, it, what is the Fairfaxian way to say something without jamming it down your throat while also not making the show feel like it was all of a sudden a political satire? Because it's not. It's satirical and funny and we comment on stuff, but we really wanted to keep the show fun. And so I think that was our way of, like, for example, Derica and Girl Bossier of talking about the commodification of, of people of color in the makeup industry without hitting it over the head. And making some big, grand, sweeping comment
0: about it. It's funny, It's funny, Matt, how you nailed the exact episode I was talking about, too. So we're right here. we were thinking about the exact same thing yeah, yeah. on that. Awesome, awesome. So staying on brand, always very important on your show, of course. And, you know, you're only as good as your latest style. So how'd you all kind of come up with some of the crazy new gear that we're going to see this season? I mean, are we talking brand war, too? Because there's some crazy stuff going on.
3: We might be talking brand wars. You know, in the words of Qua- Glenn and Quattro, shit is about to get crazy. But making the gear and the clothing in season two, specifically off Brian, which is kind of the big new brand on the block this season, was so much fun. And again, one of those things that you go, oh, yeah, that's why this is an animated show, because, you know, the three of us and our writers get to just throw the you can throw the craziest idea out and an artist will draw it, you know, there's, there's really nothing you can come up with that they can't draw. So it's a fun kind of tennis game between the the writers and the artists of, of us trying to one-up each other. We have just such funny artists who are able to take our ideas and take them to another place in a really fun way. And we thought off Brian and his whole kind of approach to upcycling and recycled clothing was just a great antithesis to Latrine, I mean, when we first meet Latrine, stuff is coming out on a conveyor belt. And so to have a competitor who, where everything seems like a one of one, felt like a really great counterbalance to to the power of Hiroki and, and, and Tim Simons as Brian and Edie Patterson as his sister, Brianna, give uh, just such funny villain performances. It's, it's a lot of fun. I think it,
1: it, the three of us sitting around, again, like during pandemic being like, wouldn't it be funny if he has like an aquarium coat? Like, like they're just like, you know, like the silly yeah. things. And also we were ins- we were inspired by some of the things that are going on in fashion. Like even last week with the Balenciaga fashion show, everybody's wearing like SM rubber body suits. And it's like that's what's happening in real world. Yeah. So yeah. how do we top that with mm-hmm. a
4: spin on it? Because in reality, fashion's pretty stupid to begin with. Yeah, the hardest part of making this show is the we have this like year and a half lead time because it's animated and it takes a while to animate the show Mm -hmm. and we come up with the craziest shit we can think of and then you know a company like balenciaga is doing it six months later (laughs) so it's really just like how do we stay like three years ahead of the curve fashion wise
0: yeah it's like thanks guys appreciate it (laughs) (laughs)
4: yeah as kids uh, aspiring to be screenwriters when we were young like never in a million years did we think we would have to be so ahead of fashion trends, but it's become our new job.
0: <laughs> Pay, paying attention to the catwalk. Very important for yeah. you guys, apparently. <laughs> so this isn't really a spoiler, but you talked about relationships and we we see in the trailer that you know the gang gang could be in a bit of trouble here. So we got a Yoko situation going on with Truman this season or what? What's going on there?
1: I don't want to speak out of turn. I think whenever when I was 13 or 14, when you're when whoever the first of the gang to have a serious boyfriend, girlfriend relationship, whatever you want to call it you can see how there's this divide where instead of becoming like oh i'm gonna come over it's now we're coming over you become a we instead of i and what that does to the interdynamics of your friend group
4: is something i think that we can all speak to it's not just even when you're look i think that everyone can relate to it it's also when you're 35 and someone starts dating someone who's you know and you're just like whoa like that's completely rocking the gang yeah i think it's totally relatable and it's something that uh we, we spent season one really establishing this gang gang and really kind of like laying a foundation for what we always saw as like a really strong friendship and going to season two there was nothing more exciting than just like throwing curveballs at it and seeing whether or not it could stay strong and stick. you know these kids could stay friends at the end of the day
0: so guys you got a lot of obviously it's it's about the group but you've also got a lot of very interesting individual stories each one of them i think has their own little piece where they've got a really interesting story arc. Who do you think has the most interesting individual story heading into this season in your opinion? Derricka
3: has a really, I mean, just right out of the gate, we we she goes she goes to 10. So, I think between I don't know, there's so many episodes where Derricka is really kind of thrown through the ringer and has to question a lot of things and you get to see really the full Range of Kiersey Clemens who is just so funny and and adds such a new layer to Derek of this season that it is really fun and, and crazy for sure.
4: That's a perfect answer. I have that. Was, yeah, asked. I totally agree. <laughs> the other thing, I mean, like other obviously Benny and his relationship to Latrine is really questioning, mm-hmm. Kind of off Brian, kind of coming coming along and being this like new cool company, and Latrine being kind of kicked to the curb, really takes a shot at his ego and who he is. And he was so defined by his loyalty to Latrine that it's just, it's really interesting, fun place to put Benny in and uh, it's great character exploration. And then on top of that, dragging him along to Girl bossy and him finding a side passion for the world of makeup was just another added layer that we thought was kind of fun and outside of fashion, but uh, Benny kind of just learning more about himself and what, what, what he finds enjoyable
0: i'll never go to a flea market the same way again that's that's just a completely out of context tease for the season, but i will never go to a flea market the same again uh thanks dude that's for sure that so outside awesome. of the outside of the gang gang i, I always i always wonder this because you got some great characters other than the gang gang themselves who's your favorite character to write outside of that group
4: wow great question i'm gonna just start first of all the answers all of them obviously but Principal Weston, we have so much fun with. The second episode, we take it to, you know, a thousand. Colton Dunn's incredible. He just took the character to a whole new level when we first heard him kind of voicing it. And it's just the idea of a principal who is upset, is just a clout chaser, is funny to us. And it, it, you know, it's kind of one of those things where like, even if you're not writing jokes for it, it's all funny. So we have a blast selfishly just writing for Principal Weston and seeing Colton kind of just run with it.
3: It, it's, I'll go with a tie between Hiroki and Brian because just, you know, there's they're, they're such larger-than-life villains. And, you know, the same way we feel about Colton, Tim and Billy are just, they can do anything. And so they were really fun to write. Yeah, I, I think it's also
1: super fun to write for Cody and Lily and Dale together because of the sort of love triangle thing going on. Writing for Ben Schwartz, who is a comedic dynamo, is always fun because he's going to turn it up to 12 if you've written something at a 10.
4: And so it just really rocks to to write for him. I think Cody has a monologue in I think it's the sixth episode that true. Like watching Ben deliver it just over Zoom, and we were we, we knew it was long, and we knew it was a lot, and he just he took it to another level. It was so fucking it's very crazy. Nuanced. It's great. It's nuanced. It's emotional, but it's hilarious at the same time. And like, you it just it his performance sparked our animators uh, just like creative inspo and like it it got crazy and it just it's such a well drawn and performed scene it's it's really it's so much fun
0: and you guys will see all that come together when season two of fairfax premieres on june the 10th on prime video season two of course you can watch season one right now if you want to aaron matthew teddy thank you guys so much for taking the time to chat i appreciate it man Thanks.
4: thanks
0: dude and going back to what they said they really do have a lot of fun on this show don't they it's it can be so wild and over the top it takes you to places that you are definitely not expecting it to go and and just these wild animated sequences and you could tell this is an artist's dream to work on this show because you're never going to draw the same thing twice it seems like as far as these crazy situations go so wait till you see what the gang gang gets themselves into season two of fairfax now streaming on prime video Again, thanks to the guys for joining me this week. Up next, going to give you my spoiler-filled review of the premiere of Miss Marvel on Disney+. Plus. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
3: Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut.
4: and how he rose from nothing to become New York's king of the egg cream.
3: So, if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream. Available wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hey guys, this is Chloe Bennett from Agents of Shield, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time to head to Avengers Con of our own, or Avenger Con, because Miss Marvel is finally here on Disney Plus. The first two episodes have dropped. Another new episode going to drop on Wednesday. I want to go ahead and give my spoiler-filled review on this and drop some nuggets from the press conference as well. And and I got to say, I want to talk about the show itself first. And first of all, Iman Vellani is fantastic as Kamala Khan and Miss Marvel. She really captures just the, the fun nature of that character and the fact that she is just a kid. She is just a teenager trying to find her way in this world. And she is a big fangirl, and I love that about her they don't make any apologies for that and on they really bring that out in the show and she's just very very likable from the get-go and i gotta say i really do love her relationship with her friends in this thing as well especially bruno matt lintz it's really really fun watching them together on screen super super fun and 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 just, you know, seeing her, you know, swoon over the over the cute new boy in class and stuff like that. And just and just being this young girl that, that you know, you'd expect from someone that age and and, and something like that. that. That's just really refreshing to see how grounded this show was. And then you see the family aspect of this thing as well. You know, especially like the scene where she's talking about getting her driver's license and in the morning and, and seeing how that whole thing plays out and her relationship. With her mother is another really, really interesting part of this as well. But I want to talk about the power set because that was something that was still very much talked about before the show even came out. We knew that her power was going to be a little bit different. You see the glowing hands and you see that what they call hard light, which I thought was kind of funny. I, I got to say, I think tying it to her heritage was a really, really smart thing to do with that gauntlet. And they even say, you know, the power has been inside of you this whole time. It's just the gauntlet sort of, you know, brings it out in you. So it's like she, the, the gauntlet is not the power. It's been in her. It's like an, it's like the, the, the match that lit the fuse sort of thing, which I think is, that's a neat way to go about it. You still might not like it. You still might want it to be as genuine to the comics as possible. But I think that doing it the way that they did was very, very smart. As a matter of fact, the head writer and executive producer bisha k ali actually talked about that and said that they wanted to make things you know that they wanted to stay true to the nature of the comics because they talked about and everybody that's a part of this talked about how much they loved the comics so much and they wanted to stay true to that and for the most part i think they did and i don't think this is not staying true to the comics and she even talked about that in saying that you know we just wanted to make things a little bit more vibrant add a little, you know, add a little bit of pop to it, for lack of a better way of putting it. I don't want to read the, I don't want to read it word for word, but talking about, you know, kind of making things a little bit more modern and making it a little bit more, uh, have a little bit more of an impact. And I think that that was something that, they, and they kind of joked around with, with with Sana Amanet who said, who's an executive producer, said, well, you know, I guess they could just blame me. But they wanted, to, they wanted to point out that they didn't go to Kevin Feige and say, guess what, we want to change this whole thing because that's not what they did at all. They just made a change to also bring it to the point where it makes sense for modern day A and B. It kind of plays with the the vibrancy of color that this show has because they add those animated elements in as well in these pops of animation that really crank up the fun in this series. And they're even talking about how this was kind of inspired by Into the Spider-Verse too. So I think that that was something that was very, very evident in, this, in the animation pops that came out in this thing. So I'm glad that they brought that up because that was one of the things that I really loved about the show the most were those animated moments that they brought out. I thought that that was really, really cool that they did that. And, I, and they, apparently when they pitched that to Kevin Feige and, and the people at Marvel, they're like, okay, don't do it a ton. Right, don't do it all the time, but yeah, go ahead and do that because it could be fun. And and I will say, they definitely don't overdo it at all. But I love the fact that we get a we get a glimpse inside the Pakistani culture in this show, and and that's a big. The family's a big part of this series, and it has to be for Kamala Khan and her family is so important, and the representation is so important too. As a matter of fact, Mohan Kapoor who plays Yusuf Khan, actually was talking about how they felt that and how important presenting a story like this about the Pac- Pakistani culture was for this series and how that representation really matters and seeing things in a new light or maybe learning something that you didn't learn know before about the culture was a really important part about this story too. So it's not just about the powers. It's not just about the superhero part. It's about the family part as well because you can't have one without the other. Clearly, because Kamala spends a good part of the first couple of episodes trying to find out, A, what this gauntlet does, and B, how it came about. So she, you know, ends up asking her grandmother about it, and, you know, she's she's not really saying much. Mom clearly knows more than she should. The family does as well. And then you've got this whole love triangle thing that starts, it with, with and that just open, opens up a whole new thing. And then... Potential new boyfriend's mama bear shows up and she knows a lot more about this. And that's the tease that we get at the end of episode two going into episode three. And that's where I think we're really going to start to learn more about this. But just everybody talked about A, how much they love the comic, and B, how important this representation was and bringing that to light. But it also doesn't feel like that's all the show's about. There's so much fun going on here, not just with the family, but with the character dynamics and the friends that are in the school as well. And Kevin Feige says that Avenger Con might actually become a thing, that, that 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 is something that that even the writers of the series have pushed for and that this might if, if we make it a big deal, it might actually become a thing. And I, th- I think we definitely need it to become a thing. If I'm being honest, is this show perfect? No, it's not perfect it definitely has some explaining to do in certain story elements and parts of how this whole thing's going to shake out especially with 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 the gauntlet we need to find out more about that mystery and and you know what the and the origin of this power i think is very important it is tied to her family and i get that but i think finding the origin of this power and and explaining that more is very important i, I you know the fact that there is a love triangle aspect to this either can be fun or it can be tired and, ha- and a little bit tropey, so I'm hoping that that doesn't really happen, and we see how that plays out, and, but I do think that the fun family aspect really drives this story forward, and again, we've got to see the costume at some point. I know we're going to get it. I know it's coming. We definitely got to see that at some point, because that's going to be really, really important, but I got to say, I was definitely impressed with the first couple of episodes of Miss Marvel. Again, this is one of those fun shows that adds a lot of, a lot of pop and a lot of, of just vibrancy and brightness to it that I think is really, really enjoyable. And again, it doesn't feel like everything else that you see in the MCU. It definitely has a different vibe. It, just like how Moon Knight had a different vibe, but this is on the other end of the spectrum of Moon Knight. Whereas Moon Knight was more gritty and serious, this is more fun and lighthearted. So Miss Marvel definitely is a good place. In the in the grand scheme of the MCU and Iman Vellani really sells this role really, really well. So I'm very much curious and looking forward to see what's gonna be coming next. That's gonna do it for my spoiler filled review of Miss Marvel. Up next, gonna to talk to Saman Chinani about his brand new book, Rise for the School of Good and Evil. Let's talk about it next on the Down and Nerdy podcast.
1: Hey, this is Mark Paul Gossler from the Passage on Fox, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: So you're probably already a fan of The School for Good and Evil. There's been so many great books in the series. We know that the Netflix movie is going to be coming out. We'll talk about that in a second. I want to talk about right now the rise of The School for Good and Evil, a kind of a prequel novel to the stories that you remember. It's Soman Shanani. Soman, how you doing? Good. Thanks so much for having me. So, like I said, you've written several books in this series already. Why was now the right time for a, pre- for a prequel like Rise?
5: I think for me, I had done six books about the female friendship between the two girls and their kind of adventures at the school, this kind of perilous institution that threatened both their lives and their friendship. And it had this kind of Dickensian, Jane Austen sort of epic complexity to it. And I wanted to do something a little faster paced a little more action adventure focused. And so I, I started thinking about doing a story about the two schoolmaster brothers who ran the school because they are immortal and have infinite powers as long as neither kills the other because one is good and one is evil. And so I started thinking about how cool would it be to tell this tale of two brothers who are bonded by blood and love, but at the same time, want each other dead. And yet they can't kill each other because then they would essentially lose their lives and power. So it uh, offered this kind of Shakespearean backdrop to tell a new kind of story in the universe.
0: It absolutely did that. Now, since this is an origin story of sorts, if someone is not familiar with the previous books, would you say this is kind of a good jumping on point for them? Could you read this without having read the previous books in the series?
5: Absolutely. I mean, I think you can either choose between book one, where... It's the start of the story. It's the one that's being made into the Netflix movie. And it's that tale of the two girls who are friends. Or if you prefer to read about sort of a bond between two boys, you can start with Rise, which is just a sharper, faster read. So it depends what you're kind of in the mood for, sort of an old fashioned kind of Harry Potter-esque epic yarn. Or if you want something more Hunger Games-ish that's fast, you know, then you start with Rise.
0: That is such a great comparison. I love that. I love that. And there are still some things that kind of jive between both books though. So were there any challenges there going back and doing a prequel story like this, knowing that there's so much story already established in the books that you'd already written?
5: Yeah, there definitely is a lot of guardrails and you have to sort of keep your eye out for, you know, anything you would have set up before. And you try not to make mistakes. And for the most part, I think, you know, as long as you're you're pretty careful and know what you've done before, you, you won't get too far off the rails.
0: And I think you certainly did did a very good job with that with Rise. Now, I, I want to try and do this without spoiling anything, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do it, but we're going to try it anyway. So right away in this book, in Rise, we meet a character that fans are going to be very familiar with, whether you've been reading good and evil stories or not. So, um, again, I don't know if we want to spoil who this character is, but what made you decide to choose this very popular, very, very known character to be in this particular story
5: i think you know for me it was looking at characters that i thought had room for development and especially ones that have been like one-dimensional someone like a captain hook who you know we only think of him one way and i thought if there's a w- you know a way to really replay his character and draw something a lot more rich and sophisticated that's where i i sort of you know run to so
0: it just seemed the right time to go for it so you seem like you were opening a whole new world maybe
5: yeah, I think you know. For me, it's opening a new sector of of the ever never universe, and and being able to run with it. So I'm hopeful that it'll allow me to to keep playing with for for more books to come.
0: Now, on the cover, we see the twins. Uh, I love the cover art for this book as well. You've got you've got Ryan and you've got Rafal representing the schools of good and evil. So describe their relationship a little bit more, and also talk about what makes them such fun characters to write, especially together.
5: Rafal is just very steady and kind of ice cold as the evil schoolmaster. You know, He isn't emotional. He isn't ruffled. He has complete and utter solidity in his feet on the ground. And Rian is more the kind of emotional one, the one prone to falling in love very easily. You know, he represents almost the extreme of goodness where, you know, you go with your feelings and always trust your feelings as the right thing. And Rafal is very suspicious of feelings. So their relationship's really interesting because Rian is is more prone to overreaction and Rafal to underreaction. And so when you see them together, that leads to some pretty,
0: you know, interesting fireworks. And you get to see that right away too, which is fun. Talking to Saman Chinnani, who of course is the author of The Rise of the School of For Good and Evil, which of course you can get in bookstores right now. Now, Saman, speaking of characters, you've created so many memorable ones. Over the years that fans have grown to love what was it like being able to create so many new characters all over again and why do you think fans are going to fall in love with these characters as well
5: i think for me that i always love creating a world where you don't know who the good guy and bad guys and and to me that's the fun you're reading a book and it's just not obvious so you're always a little unsettled and unsure because nine times out of ten when you pick up a book you know who the good guy and bad guy is just by the synopsis or the way it's constructed. And I just don't, I don't really play that way. Like I can introduce a character and spend 60 pages for them and you think they're the hero, but they might turn out to be the bad guy. So there's a lot more sort of fluidity to it.
0: Definitely makes it a lot more fun. Now, is there one character in particular that you're really excited for fans to meet in this story? Or was there just one that was very particularly fun to write? I think
5: Hook was really a revelation to me because even by the end of it, I didn't know If he was a hero or villain, I love the idea that he was just so complex and unique and you could sort of make of him what you will. I also loved writing Aladdin, you know, because Aladdin has all kinds of moral failings, but he's likable. So I think ultimately uh, those two are the ones that stood out to me the most.
0: So, of course, most fans know, like you said, the School for Good and Evil going to be coming to Netflix as a live action movie this fall we actually got a chance to see the first trailer already it just came out so does that kind of make it feel even more real that this is actually happening and what has the response been like so far for you from for the from the trailer
5: i think to me the book the the movie is an opportunity to bring the book to a whole new audience the movie itself becomes like a commercial for the book so i just love that it's getting a second light you know it gets a second chance otherwise this you know sometimes it's 10 years into this series so there's a a possibility that you know as readers grow up uh, new things take over and you can you know the, the way with tv series too things just disappear but now it'll have a completely new life and hopefully be passed down from generation to generation
0: i think it'll definitely be that now you're also you were also an executive producer on the movie obviously and i'm sure that authenticity is very important for you since i mean this is your baby this is something that you've been with for a long long time so what was the number one thing that you wanted to make sure that this movie got right for longtime fans of the books
5: I think just the quality of the storytelling, because the one thing I'm known for sort of amongst my readers is that, you know, if I put out a book, it's going to be good. I'm not going to put out something I'm not 100% invested in and really strongly in. And so, you know, they can put out a movie, but I'm not going to be there full throatedly endorsing it unless it's of the highest quality. So I think I was always pushing for that from the beginning. And now we can sort of look at it and it is, you know, it's just a a fantastic movie. So it got as close as it could to a truly worthy presentation of kind of the imaginative landscape in the book.
0: How much fun was it to go through the casting process and the initial filming, just watching these actors bring these characters that you created to life. That's gotta be something else. Yeah. It's a
5: surreal experience. It's impossible to describe because these are, Parts of you, you know, these are like your children, and then to see them sort of acting on their own accord and and doing their own thing, you just—it's—it's it's very out of body. It—it—I it, never got used to it. I still don't get used to it when I see you know see drafts in the movie.
0: I can only imagine. I can only yes, imagine. it's really yeah, cool.
5: It's just a, a very very weird unusual experience. But it's like winning the lottery. You just have to enjoy every moment of it, and there there are ups and downs. But uh, along the way, you just realize that that it's an incredibly privileged position. I just try to have as much fun fun with it as I can.
0: No doubt about that. So, mom, before I let you go, is rise is rise for the, of the school for good and evil more of a one shot here, or is this a series that we could see continue and tell more of this story as we lead up to what was the first book in the series?
5: There's going to be a second one next year, so it's a, definitely a, a duology. I'm gonna together, they're going to they're going to feel like one long epic.
0: That's excellent. That's great news. And you could start with the with rise of the school for good and evil, which is available right now wherever books are sold from Harper Collins. You can also keep an eye out for the movie, the school of good and evil from Netflix, which is going to be coming out this fall. So Mancianani, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I appreciate it. My
5: pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: And he was right on the money when he said this book was a little bit more fast paced and seeing some familiar characters in different and sometimes uncomfortable settings too was very, very interesting. And then you come in, if you're coming into the story fresh, then you've got these new characters. And then have this playfulness and this just intriguing nature to them where you kind of want to know not just what they're up to, but more about them as well. So Rise of the School for Good and Evil is a very, very interesting read. You can get it now wherever books are sold on, on digital as well if you like reading on your digital devices too. If you're a fan of the series, you won't be disappointed in this book. And if you're not, you're, you're looking for a place to jump in for the Netflix movie, this might be a fun way to do exactly that. Again, thanks to Simon Cianani for joining me to talk about Rise of the School for Good and Evil. Up next, speaking of the Netflix movie, let's recap Netflix's Geeked Week as part of Nerd News. We'll do that next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, guys. It's
5: Larisa Tronco from Netflix's The Order, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: It's a good week to get geeked. It's time for nerd news. And boy, Netflix's Geeked Week did not spare anything this week, did it? Just uh, like so many shows and movies that were talked about. I want to let you know right away, I'm not going to go through every single title. There's like 70 of them. I'm not exaggerating either. We're close to 70. And in each category, it seems like. So I'm not going to go through all these if you wanted more, more information on some of these titles. Or if, uh, if you think I missed one, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. The information will be up there. Also at downandnerdy757 on social media as well. But I want to start out with the first day, the TV day. And the first look at Jenna Ortega as Wednesday Adams in the upcoming Wednesday series. And I got to tell you, I was nervous I I'll be honest, and Jenna Ortega looks every bit the part of an older Wednesday Adams. I really think that they nailed the look. Now, again, we don't get much. It's just a quick little teaser, a little snap of the fingers, and off we go. So we don't get a ton, but we do know that it looks like the show is going to be coming out this fall. Of course, Tim Burton, the creative mind behind this one. And it's hard to say beyond her look what's going to happen with this series until we get more, but if this look is any indication, they're definitely off to the right start. Something I thought was really intriguing, too, was Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. basically a horror anthology series, and i got to give Netflix a lot of credit. They see the value in anthology more so than it seems like other streamers and networks and things like that seem to seem to have. I think that, especially in the horror genre, this is something that is really, really a valuable tool is these anthology series. Now, these are actually described as genre-defining in by, by Del Toro and, and everybody involved. There's a lot of great directors that are attached to these. It looks like we're going to get a lot of different kinds of stories, not just your typical, just once you know one kind of horror. It's going to be all kinds of different types of horror-type stories and vibes. I mean, you're talking to everybody from the, the, from the director behind Twilight, the Empty Man, you've got Hannibal mixed in there as well, and several Mandy, several others, too. So, I mean, you want to talk about different vibes, you're going to get that. And then you look at the cast, you've got Andrew Lincoln and Brent Ben Barnes, F. Marie Abraham's even going to be a part of this, Eric Andre, Sofia Botella, and, again, go see the list for yourself. There's so many great names on that. And this is something that's one of, that's been with Del Toro for a long, long time. I believe this was a, like a journal he kept or something like that, or or, or or a book he wrote of some kind, that that's how it started, and it's just been sitting there for years, and now it's going to be this anthology series on Netflix. Again, no release date for this one. It looks like most of the stuff's going to be coming out in the fall, though, so just let's just put that in the back of your mind for now. Speaking of that, though, we've got The Midnight Club, which, is, of course, is from Mike Flanagan, the mind behind you know The House on a Haunted Hill, and The Haunted of Bly Manor and, Manor, and things like that. Do know that this one's going to be coming out on October the 7th. Now, this is something when I was talking to Crystal Balance back when Midnight Mass was happening, she's going to be part of this Midnight Club series as well. She was able to tease it a little bit for us. And basically, this is a group of terminally ill young people. They live in hospice care. Very strange doctor. We don't get to see that in the teaser trailer, but I got to say that this is a, a very interesting vibe that's created in this trailer. And there's almost like this, like almost at the start of any meeting of any club, you've got your mantra and then you have a little toast and then you go about your day. Well, that's kind of what we see in this, you know, to those before, to those after, to us now and to those beyond, seen or unseen, here but not here is the, is the mantra that they chant in this, which is it really, it really sets a tone early on for this series. So I think that this could be very interesting and a lot of fun on October the 7th for the Midnight Club. As we move right along in this TV version of Geeked Week from Netflix, we've got Lock and Key, the final th- season, the third and final season gonna be coming out now we know on August the 10th. Of course, seasons two and three were shot back to back. And looks like the Redcoats are coming. That should be no surprise if you watch the end of last season. And it's basically the Lock family fighting for their right to their home and their keys and their family legacy. And talking about how the past always follows this family. And it certainly does. And then you see Dodge at the end. And to me, that just kicks it up an extra notch or two. And it looks like we are going to get introduced again to a couple of new keys in this season as well. I think Kinsey, though, going to be the key to this season. I don't know why I say that. Just call it a gut feeling on my part. But I really think Kinsey is going to be a huge key for this season. Did I say key for this season? Yeah, I did. They just come out of me, these puns, and I can't stop them. Sorry about not sorry. And that's going to be August the 10th for the third and final season of Netflix's Lock and Key. Manifest has been saved. We knew that. Don't get much from season four of Manifest in Geeked Week, but we do get a clip, and it's basically, you know, Mac just kind of investigating a little port area Finding a shipping container and there's someone or something in this shipping container that she's investigating. She really gets her like private eye thing on. She tries to hide her face with the you know she's dressing the part of the agent and stuff like that. So uh, not a ton from season four of Manifest, but you don't really want to give that away right in a clip. We do know that season four is going to be broken in to two parts though, so that is something we're going to get. We're going to get ten episodes each, so ultimately we'll end up with twenty episodes. To round out that story, and I think that that's pretty great that we're getting that many because a typical typical Netflix show doesn't get that many episodes in a season, and the fact that they're doing this with manifest really shows I think that they want to give the fans the the ending that they deserve and ho- and hopefully Jeff Rake and company can do that with the remaining episodes that they have left when I watched the trailer for the imperfect another new live action Netflix series that's going to be coming, I really got, I'm like, wow, this really, really feels like The Order. Remember that show that ran for a couple seasons? Well, there's a reason that it felt like The Order because it actually comes from the showrunner from The Order and one of the executive producers, Dennis Heaton. And this trailer was, it, was, it, it had some fun vibes to it. It's basically 320-somethings. They're turned into monsters by evil scientists against their will. I'm kind of grabbing this from the synopsis that they gave out. And now they're, you know, on the hunt for the person responsible, but they're also being chased by a government agency. And, you know, they're, they're also, you know, college students and teenagers and things like that and all the stuff that comes along with that. And they call it a coming of rage story, which I think is really, really funny. You get to see these monsters that they turn into and, I, you know, it's like a, a werewolf with, with spikes and things like that. So that's the kind of thing that you've got going on here. And not only did Heaton work on The Order, also worked on Van Helsing and Fargo as well. So you can create varying vibes there for a show like this. You've got Italia Ricci is going to be a part of this, Inafki Godoy, and of course Morgan Taylor Campbell, and a bunch of others being a part of this cast as well. The Imperfects looks like it's going to be coming out this fall on Netflix too. And i got to say, this is one that... Again, I don't think it's going to be perfect. I think it's going to be a very imperfect show. But I think that's the beauty of it because that's one of the things I actually loved about The Order on Netflix. So that's one of the things that makes that w- work out for me. The Sandman is real and it is coming on August the 5th. So any fans that thought that the, the Sandman live action series from DC and Vertigo on Netflix was a figment of the world's imagination, Neil Gaiman was right. It is very, very real and we finally have a trailer for it. And I got to tell you, for me, just the look alone, this is kind of what I was hoping for and what I was expecting. It really captures a really dark tone. The fact that, you know, Dream's been away from the, the from the Dream Realm for a while and kind of in prison. Now coming back and saying, hey, oh, by the way, while you were gone, everything fell apart. So there's that. So and, and then you kind of get to see the aftermath of that. We get to see Joanna Constantine in this as well and just see the the very very mysterious vibe that's created we get a we get a quick look at death in this trailer and everything again was very very quick but seeing dream featured in this trailer i think was really really huge and to to capture the vibe of what we're going to be expecting for this series i've got high hopes for this one after seeing this this teaser that was released plenty more to come too but i think it's at least off to the right start going to be coming on August the 5th. Oh, oh no, by the way, Mark Hamill's going to be the voice of Merv Pumpkinhead. Absolutely 100%, nothing wrong with that. Then there's the Resident Evil trailer, a new live action series that's now, we know, going to be coming on July the 14th. And yeah, it looks like the Umbrella Corporation, they say they're going to turn over a new leaf. They say they're going to be doing good. And now we find out that a new drug contains the T-Virus and all hell's breaking loose. Again, and that's really how that describes the trailer quite well. It's kind of all hell breaking loose. We see all kinds of different monsters and creatures and zombies, for the lack of a better way of putting it. If you're a Resident Evil fan, this one looks bonkers. And it's definitely going to be on your list. Moving to the movie side now. I'm not going to do a ton of these because some of them are movies we've already talked about. But I want to touch on a couple. And that is The Sea Beast, the new animated movie. It's going to be coming out on July the 8th with Carl Urban. And I got to say, this gave me Moana vibes immediately, and there's a reason for that. Chris Williams, who was the co-director of Moana, is the director of this one. So, I mean, it really makes sense. And it really looks like a, a, a not just a sea epic with all these big monsters and, and like a pirate-esque vibe, but then you've also got this relationship between Jacob Holland and young Maisie, which looks like it's going to be really, really fun. This is actually going to get a limited theatrical release this month, too, so keep an eye out for that in your local theater listings. But yeah, the Sea Beast looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. And then I've got something that I didn't think I'd look forward to. As you know, I mean, if you've listened to the show before, I'm not a huge Jamie Foxx fan. I'm not a huge, like, you know, zombie movie fan. But this isn't zombies. It's it's vampires. When you talk about Day Shift, which is going to be coming out on Netflix on August the 12th. And basically, it's Jamie Foxx hunting vampires for money and and for for their fangs and things like that. And it looks like there's they show that in the behind-the-scenes video all this crazy action and stunt sequences. And the, the stunt team behind the John Wick franchise is going to be doing this one. But boy, I got to tell you, this looks like a lot more fun than I would have expected. You heard my interview with Simon Chinani earlier. And The School for Good and Evil is the adaptation of his book that's going to be coming to Netflix also this fall. Of course, you've got Charlize Theron and Kerry Washington playing the House of Good and House of Evil. And again, this is another one that looks like a lot of fun, whether you are a fan of the books or not. This is one that I think you can really, really gravitate to. I think this is one of those all audiences type things. And if you're looking for something that could be like the next Harry Potter type story, I really, really do feel like this is it. Now, maybe that's heavy-handed to say after one trailer, but, I mean, th- there's been, the, the, over the past 10 years, these books have been bestsellers for a reason. I don't think that that's heavy-handed at all. And then you look at the cast, the way that this is presented, and the fantasy world that's being brought forth here. Yeah, this one looks like it really, really has a chance to be great. But that's just it. It's a chance. It actually has to execute that vision properly. Really quickly, I want to go through the animation news that happened on the third day of Geeked Week. Masters of the Universe Revolution going to be coming from Netflix and Mattel Television. This is picking up right where Masters of the Universe Revelation left off. It's promising more He-Man versus Skeletor type story in this upcoming season, which I think is one of the things that fans wanted in the first place from Revelation. And that's one of the things that people were upset that they didn't get and they're saying that's what we're going to get Kevin Smith back as an executive producer here and Rob David as well and a bunch of others Kevin Smith has not been named showrunner yet which I think is interesting but that's you know maybe a formality at this point we're going to have to wait and see this is still very fresh news to see how it kind of shakes out as things go but I mean you've got powerhouse animation studio back that's always a good thing you've also got you know an established story now and they can kind of move forward from where they were at before but how they move forward is going to be a key to whether or not this is going to be as successful as it can be so this is another one that we're going to have to definitely keep an eye on and then you've got the first look at skull island which again is going to be what powerhouse animation studio is going to be working on of course it's not kong skull island It's Skull Island, and if you know anything from either the comics or even the movies, Skull Island is a very, very interesting place that is way more than just about Kong. There's all kinds of prehistoric-type monsters that are on this island, and this is one that visually could be very, very striking, but story-wise could run a lot deeper than you think, too. So to put this in the hands of a studio like Powerhouse Animation, that embodies the word powerhouse. This thing could be gigantic. Another one that I was actually surprised about, because I really didn't know anything about it until the trailer dropped, and that is, I say teaser trailer, that is Enter Galactic, which if you're if you're a music fan, you probably know who Kid Cudi is. If you are a TV fan, you already know who Kenya Barris is, the mind behind Blackish, and they're kind of bringing... An animated story together, and it really has the visual appeal of Into the Spider Verse. That's kind of what it looks like and how it's presented. So, and, and it looks like it's going to be blending all sorts of like musical elements in there and things like that. And he's you've got a character, Jabari, who is kind of balancing love and success and all of these different things. And then there's something that's going to happen in this that's going to make it a little bit beyond. A regular life type, life type drama. So, and intergalactic is another one that you've got to keep your eye on coming up this fall, on Netflix. And then we move on after that to talk about edge runners, cyberpunk edge runners, which is going to be coming out on in September of this year. And yes, it is based on the popular game. It's supposed to be based in the cyberpunk twenty seventy seven universe. And this one just looks like it's got a little bit of extra fuel to it, doesn't it? It just and it, it, it it's you know, it kind of expands the world of the game and allows them to tell a little bit of a deeper story than just what you can present in a video game and kind of do more of a side story and talk about more of like the city itself and the people that are in it, not just your players. So again, Cyberpunk Edge Runners is one that I'm really, really looking forward to. And I think this again, another one you can look forward to whether you're a fan of the games or not. We didn't get a trailer or anything for this, but this is kind of, this kind of kicked off the animation day for Geeked Week, and that is a, a Ghostbusters animated series going to be coming to Netflix. And as somebody who was a big fan of the real Ghostbusters growing up, that animated series actually ran for like seven seasons. Can you believe that? didn't seem like it was that many, but apparently it was that many. And it's going to be done by the same people that were a part of Ghostbusters Afterlife, Jason Reitman, and Gil Keenan. And of course, they're, they're building a whole Ghost Core Incorporated thing going to expand the stories of Ghostbusters. And I think this is going to be a good partnership for an animated series between the two of them because you need a good play and you need a good home for this. And Sony Pictures Animation has kind of partnered up with Netflix on other series before. So it seems like this could be a really good partnership to house this animated series and get, quite frankly, get it in front of of a lot of different people. I want to take just a couple of seconds because I, I don't want to go too long here to talk about a couple of other big trailers that dropped this week. The Black Adam trailer. Of course, that movie going to be coming out on October the 21st. And we finally get to see Dwayne Johnson as Black Adam in action. And he, he every every bit looks the part. And it seems like more people were talking about Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate than I would have expected, which I'm really, really happy, happy about as a Dr. Fate fan, and I've got to say that the whole, you know, you've got two paths you can choose. You can either save the world or destroy it. I know that people don't want to hero up or anti-hero Black Adam, but they've already done that in the comics. It's not like this movie is going to do anything that the comics haven't already done. Can we just put that to bed now? Because everybody wants Black Adam to be the evil Black Adam, and I totally understand that. I'm actually right there with you. But at the same time, this is not we're not reinventing the wheel here for movie purposes. This is something that's already been done. And if they can find a way to walk that fine line in this movie, I think that that's where it could be interesting. And maybe you don't necessarily make it about the will he or won't he sort of thing, but almost about a he could snap at any second kind of thing and make it about that. But giving him a purpose for whatever direction he chooses to me is the key to the story. And side note, how great does Aldous Hodge look as Hawkman? I'm sold on that just based on this trailer alone. I was, I was already pretty much sold in the first look image anyway. Now I'm really sold based on the trailer. So October the 21st, that's going to be a huge, huge moment for DC films for Black Adam. Lastly, I want to talk about Prey, which is based in the Predator universe. That's going to be coming out August the 5th on Hulu. It's actually set 300 years ago in the Comanche Nation, which I think is a really, really sweet setting. And they've got a lot of Native American actors, mostly Native American actors, portraying these roles as well, so that it really adds a great authenticity to this. And we get to see a lot of Nehru, who's kind of the warrior in in waiting, The, the, the warrior who wants to be more of a warrior than she actually is presently, when we first meet her in the trailer anyway. And you get to see the predator kind of she she puts herself in a bad situation with a big grizzly bear. And then you see the bear get taken out by the predator. And that is a big wow moment. And that's when you know you're dealing with something super serious. And then the hunt is on. So are you the hunter or the hunted? And that's where you end up being at with this trailer. And that's why I think this one's going to be a really, really cool. This one has a chance to be really cool because it's a very different kind of Predator movie. And I think that's exactly what this franchise needs. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, go to downandnerdypodcast.com for expanded Geek Week coverage and all kinds of other nerd news as well. Also, follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram at down and nerdy on facebook actually still running some contests got a really cool jurassic world dominion contest going now and always subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast that helps out a lot as well remember you never have to apologize for being a nerd so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds
2: greetings adventurers today we're excited to introduce you to a new story dark dice a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shamblers still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it ah. eagerly tried to bite and swipe at soaring, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.